so blessed. It's just, I don't know about you, but I grew up in church and there were just <laughs> so many years. That especially, I know I was younger than y'all know. Lord knows you know my past and you know me as a kid. It was less than stellar. But at the same time, it was like, yeah, I, I wanted to fall asleep during church music most of the time. It just didn't feel like it was connecting. And then uh, what we have today is just like, wow, if we'd have had this when I was a kid, I think it would have been a much different story for me. And so I just feel like uh, we're so blessed and sometimes we don't even realize it. And so I just want to make sure we stop and say thank you to Tommy and all of the band and everyone that, that worked so hard to put that together, uh, that we can come together, lift our voices together. I love hearing everybody singing together and just praising our, our Savior, um, who is so deserving, for sure. So we are in uh, a study of the Gospel of John. So if you haven't been here for a while, or again, first time you've ever been here before, you can get your Bibles out, go to the Gospel of John. We're going to be there today. We're actually going to be in John chapter 4 today. We have spent the last three weeks already kind of methodically going through uh, chapter by chapter. If you weren't here last week, we we were privy to this really cool story, uh, this really cool moment where Jesus uh, has this conversation with the Pharisee named Nicodemus. Uh, I told you a little bit about it, uh, give you some insight as much as I could about that, but Pharisees and Jesus didn't tend to get along because Jesus called them out a lot for their hypocrisy and their misuse of, uh, of the way they use the law. Uh, and so they didn't kind of see eye to eye a lot. But then there was one Pharisee in particular, uh, Nicodemus, who was on the Jewish council. He was part of the Sanhedrin. He was, um, he was a big deal. He was a teacher, and he was intrigued by Jesus. And so he wanted to know more. He's a little scared, though, to, to go during the day and talk to Jesus. He goes at night. He doesn't want anybody really to see him. Uh, he knows what that would mean to him and his career, his reputation, possibly. And so he has this moment with Jesus. It's so beautiful that Jesus just shares the gospel message with him. And, uh, and it's just this really cool interaction that we went through uh, last week. And so this morning, we get to see in our text another beautiful and just encouraging character trait of God because John purposely puts these two stories back to back. And, and I love that. I love that, that he's done this, an encounter with this, what we talked about last week, this rich, um, powerful, highly educated man. And then this morning, we get the next, very next uh, chapter here, we get this story of Jesus and this encounter with this lowly, poor, ostracized woman, back to back. Um, and I don't know about you, I'm just so grateful that God doesn't care about status that the world gives us or doesn't give us. He, he cares about our hearts, right? Amen. It's so good to know that that's the God that we serve. And we're going to see it on display today in one of the most beautiful stories in the Gospels. Um, and we're going to read the whole story in a minute, and we're just going to go through it so we can kind of get, hopefully be able to go there um, in, in our imaginations, but also just to, to hear these words of this, this woman and, and Jesus. But before we do, there's a few verses prior to the actual story uh, of what's uh, typically referred to as the woman at the well, that I want to make sure we, we mention first to kind of set it up. And so we're going to read the first three verses, um, and then we'll go from there, and eventually we're going to read the entire story together. <clears throat> but it says this in verse uh, chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. It says, Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. I'm talking about John the Baptist. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but the, his disciples. So he left Judea, went uh, back once more to Galilee. So I touched on this last week, uh, but people are starting to follow Jesus in droves now, and they're leaving some of the 
most famous rabbis of the day, which would have been John the Baptist, obviously would have been one of them. And there's concern for this. There's people getting a little jealous, people wondering what in the world's happening. You're losing your followers. They're going to Jesus. And as we learned in chapter three, <clears throat> John the Baptist is cool with that. He's like, listen, that's why I came was to prepare the way. That was what I was all about, was preparing the way for Jesus. And so he even says uh, in chapter three, he says, the, the joy is mine, that this is, this is happening. He's thrilled that the Messiah has come. And so Jesus has got this new group of followers and especially these, these early disciples that are with him. And they've been in Jerusalem. They've been there for the Passover. Uh, some few things have happened. Again, we've read about those things. And now they're going to head back to Galilee, uh, which is up north from, from Ju- Jerusalem. And so We're going to head back. He's going to head back to his headquarters, um, which would have been in Capernaum, which we talked about that again uh, last week as well. But what we're about to read is that Jesus is going to do something uh, odd uh, for for that day and time. The the route in which he's going to take is is not going to be the ordinary route. And this is what I want to explain. I have a map for you. Those of you who love maps, Ashley Lund. This is for you. Here we go. So here, this map uh, helps us a little bit. They're down here in Jerusalem. For the Passover, as we know. Now, if you're just looking at this map and you're a directions person, which I know some of you aren't, you're like, whoa, I'd be, I'd be messed up. I'm thankful for my GPS. You start talking big words like north, south, east, and west, and I'm lost, right? Some of y'all, I get it, but stay with me. This, so they're down here in Jerusalem. They've got a, they want to get back to Galilee. This is the Sea of Galilee up here. <clears throat> Capernaum, just north of it. Like I said, that's where Jesus is going to set up his headquarters um, for his ministry over these next few years. And so they've got to make this trek, this journey from Jerusalem back up to Galilee. Now, all of us in our day and time, you look at this map and you go, okay, if that's me, I know what I'm doing. I'm going from Jerusalem. I'm going to go straight up through Samaria. I might hit Nazareth, my hometown, Jesus' hometown, uh, on my way up and then end up in in Capernaum. That would make the the most natural, most sense, fastest route, right? That's the way most of us would have gone. That's not the typical way. Um, and here's, here's the reason why. When you see that part, I had uh, Meg do this for me where she can kind of make Samaria highlighted there. Oh, you're early on the arrow. My goodness. Now you got it. That's okay. I'll explain the arrow in a minute. Samaria, um, can you just wipe it off? Yeah, there we go. We'll start over again. You didn't see that. Nobody saw the arrow. Here we go. Samaria, uh, this, this area was not a, a, a favorite of the Jews at all. You've got to understand a little bit of history here. The Samaritans um, and the Jews did not get along, hated each other. Reason for that, you have to go back about 700 years before Jesus. The Assyrians are going to take over uh, Israel. And in, the, the, in that part, they, they, kinda, they deport a lot of the Jews. They import a lot of uh, the Syrians at that time. And then what happens is they intermarry with the Jews. When that happens, you start developing a new people group uh, called the Samaritans, who then obviously take up uh, here in an area that ends up being called Samaria. And so the Jews couldn't stand the Samaritans. And to the point where you can read even ancient literature and you read where they say they didn't even want to look at a Samaritan, let alone come in contact or walk through their horrible place that they lived. Like it's, they didn't want, they even called them. This is not me making this term up. I mean, they called them half breeds. Like this was massive racism that was going on even back in Jesus day. Could not stand each other. It kind of went both ways, but it's heavy on the Jewish side. We won't even walk through where you guys live. We, we don't even want to take the chance to have to face you, look at you, see you. We are disgusted by you. That is, that's their feeling towards the Samaritans. So Get ready, Christy. So the, what the traditional route was is they would go ahead and they would leave 
somewhere around Jericho area. They would actually cross over the Jordan River, go out and around um, Samaria, and then enter back into what would have been southern part of, of Galilee here. So this, is, this was normal. This is what they did. That's what everybody did. So when Jesus says to these disciples, hey, guess what? We're going to go through Samaria. They're kind of flipping out. They would have been flipping out a little bit because this isn't normal. This isn't the route we take. We don't associate with them. We don't do Samaritans. We, we don't want to look at them. We don't want to see them. Why in the world would you choose to do this? And this is why Jesus says, this is what it says in, in John 4, 4. Here's where the, the tension comes in. It says, now he had to go through Samaria. Well, when you read that, if you just heard what I explained to you, you would think, we well, didn't have to. Matter of fact, they didn't normally do that. So what do you mean they had to? Well, what John is trying to communicate here is this was a divine appointment that we are about to read about. This was on purpose. No, this was not the normal route. But this was the route that Jesus was taking because Jesus had a mission. Jesus was doing something on purpose, a divine appointment. He was going to teach some very important lessons. Actually, the lessons he's going to teach because he does this, we're going to see an entire town end up getting saved here. And not only that... Even, of course, today, there are millions of lives uh, still to this day that have been affected by this story. And so this was on purpose, divine appointment, and we're going to read this powerful encounter between Jesus and this Samaritan woman. But you needed to have that past. You needed to understand just how awkward this was, how unusual this was um, as we read through it. So again, I'm going to fight to not stop as I read. I'm going to read through it, and then we're going to take it apart a little bit uh, piece by piece. So John chapter 4, 5 through 26, let's read this. It says, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of land Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews did not associate with Samaritans. And Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to drink uh, to, or to draw, um, to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave, the well, uh, gave us the well and drank from it himself, and uh, as did his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't have to be thirsty and, and, and have to come here to draw water. He told her, go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands and the man that you are now with is not your husband. What you've just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place that we are to must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. 
Yet a time is coming and now has come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. So again, I love that John puts these two conversations uh, with Jesus back to back. One very prominent, powerful man. One very lowly, disgraced woman. And uh, one Jew, one Samaritan. And interestingly, the, the guy that actually, after this story, that Jesus ends up blessing at the end of this chapter, which we're not going to have time to get to, you have to read that on your own time, is actually assumed that he is, to believe that he is a, a Gentile. So what does that show us back to back to back here? Is that Jesus loves us all, despite our race, our status, our gender. He came for all. Amen? Man, this is something that, especially in our day and time, we need to understand and see. And so Jesus and his disciples are on their way back to Galilee. They stop to rest and get some water, uh, get some food. And again, we see here, this is the human side of Jesus that we talked about in the first week that we're beginning to see. Verse 6, Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. So Jesus is tired. He sits down. The disciples go into town to find food. We, some people look at that and they're like, why did it take all of them to go into town to get... This is where you would insert a joke here about men going to the grocery store or whatever you want to call it. It's like, yeah, it was going to take all of them because they're uh, be like, I don't know what we should get. How many people? I don't know. You, you tell me. I've never been here before. What is that? I don't know. Just get... So that probably happened. Anyway, there, or it could be that Jesus is just like, yeah, yeah, you know, kind of like you do with your kids. Yeah, you should probably go to your friend's house, right? You should probably go get some groceries. Give me a break a little bit because Jesus had something else in mind that was going to happen during this time while they're gone. And so... Regardless, by divine appointment, <clears throat> they arrive at this well and be and again, because of this conversation that Jesus has with this woman is going to change her life and it's going to change the life of all these people in Sychar. So <clears throat> Jesus sits down at the well and then it tells us, interesting, like the exact time of when this conversation is taking place, right? It says that it's 12 noon and this woman is going to come and draw water uh, at this specific time. And why that's important is because it's not normal. The women, especially this day, would never have gone to draw water at noon. That, it's the heat of the day would be the, the, the worst time, the dumbest time to go draw water. They either went early in the morning, the cool of the morning, or in the cool of the evening. And a matter of fact, it was actually, it was like a social event for them. They would go and they would go to draw water. And while they're there, they're hanging out at the well, they're catching up on things. How are things going? How's Benjamin? Oh, he's okay. He had a little run-in with the sheep yesterday. Whatever it is, they're having their little conversations at the well. They're getting, this, is, this was something you'd wanted to do. This is pre-Facebook. You didn't know anything until you came to the well. This is where you caught up with everybody, and you kind of found out what was going on. And so this is when you went. You went for practical reasons, but you also went for personal reasons, for social reasons. And so the fact that she's showing up at noon stands out drastically here. And the reason she's there at noon is because she knew that nobody else would be. She wanted to avoid the other women. She didn't want to hear or see the other women talking about her. We know from the course of the conversation that we just read, she had a less than stellar past, right? I mean, it's, it's very, she had been married five times. Not only was she married five times, she's with the sixth man, and the sixth man that she's living with isn't even her husband. And so this, this was a glaring issue. Uh, 
you have this kind of reputation in a small town in first century especially, people are going to talk about you. They're not only going to talk about you, they're going to ostracize you. And you're not going to be a, someone they want to hang out with. We, you, can, you know this by living in Wachula in 2024. If this was your story, if you had been married five different times and now you're living with somebody that's not even your husband, you, you, same kind of thing. You, you know that your reputation, because of it, you're going to be treated differently, especially by certain people that maybe know your story. And these women would have looked at her. They'd looked down on her. Some of their own husbands may have been her former husbands. And so she decides to go in the heat of the day to avoid the other women's looks, their comments, their judgment that would have been on her. So what she doesn't realize is that she's about to have a divine appointment with a counselor at 12 o'clock noon uh, at the well. And so she comes to the draw water and she's going to leave with a whole lot more uh, than what she thought she was going to get. Now, she's thrown completely off guard, right? First of all, there shouldn't be anybody there. But not only is there somebody there, there's a man there. And not only is there a man there, there's a Jewish man there. And not only is all that happening, but he's going to actually talk to her. He's going to say something to her. So verse 7, when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? And again, John tells us, for Jews did not associate with Samaritans. So it was just so culturally unusual for a man to even speak to a woman in public unless he was related to her. And not only unusual, but a lot of times it was unacceptable. You didn't do that. And then what's crazier is he's a Jew and a man, and he's speaking to her, and she is a Samaritan woman. So we have both things here, multiple things here, um, that were just way out of, of line. This was not normal at all. So... It says in verse 9, um, why she's, you can kind of see why the attitude's there. At least I read it with attitude uh, that, that she's kind of having a little bit here. Verse 9, the Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? Like, are you kidding me? Verse, verse 10, Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who had asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, actually, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep where can you uh, get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? I, I, I don't know. And again, I may have to apologize to this woman one day in heaven. But I put, I, I'm, I'm, I'm hearing this more like, are you greater than our father Jacob? Mm, don't think so. Who gave us this well? He's the one that drank from this well himself. And so did his sons and so did his livestock. Um, again, we don't know the tone here. <laughs> and I might be off, but I, I sense there's some sass. A little sass here. She's seeing this, I think this conversation is going sideways right from the beginning because Jesus says, will you give me a drink? And then she goes into this little sassafras talk, you know, of excuse me, uh, okay, weirdo hanging out at the well at noon. Why are you even here? And you're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan woman. And, um, I don't get what you're doing here. Why this doesn't, this isn't registering with me. And Jesus then says, Oh, if you, if you only knew who I was, if, if you only realized who you're talking to, you'd be asking me for something different, a different kind of water. And she's like, oh, really? Really? Because you don't even have anything to draw from in this well. It's deep. <clears throat> Are you trying to tell me you're greater than Jacob? Man, you know, he's the one that gave us the well. And I can only imagine that it's one of those moments, I think, in her life that later on, after she realizes who Jesus is, she's probably like, Wow. I wish I could go back in time a little bit. Didn't realize that's who I was talking to. I would have responded differently. So she's displaying a little bit of sass to Jesus here. And then Jesus says, 
Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't, uh, won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. So what started out to be a little bit of sass here, I think the attitude starts to soften a little bit because what he's saying sparks her curiosity. Because now he's saying something that she realizes, wow, this is true. This could be awesome for me in my life because if you've got water I can drink and I won't be thirsty ever again, that means I don't ever have to come to this well again. That means I can avoid these women forever. I don't have to worry about the embarrassment of coming here and having to do this. And so, of course, she's thinking all about physical thirst, but Jesus is talking about quenching something that is much deeper within her. He's talking about healing her heart in ways that nothing and no one else can. She didn't understand that just yet. She's still confused. So now Jesus is going to get right to the point. Jesus is going to literally perform meticulous heart surgery here. Uh, this is, he's so good at, at this. Obviously, we know who he is. He obviously can do this. He knows how we work. He created us. But he just he, he shoots straight to the point. And he says something that sounds like it's completely off topic. I mean, verse 16 is like, what? What does that even mean? He, said, he told her, go call your husband and come back. Like she would have thought, what does that have to do with anything? We've been talking about water and Jacob and wells and Jews and Samaritans. And then Jesus just cuts to the chase and says, go get your husband. Come back. We'll talk some more. And she says, uh, I don't have a husband. And Jesus says, I know. You've had five. And the guy you're with now, he's not even your husband. I know that. I don't know if you can put yourself there and imagine this moment, but Jesus just lays her heart wide open. He gets past all the junk, all the questions, all the ridiculousness of who are you and who am I and what are you here for and what's this going on and you don't have anything to draw water. And he's like, hey, how about this? Let me just shoot to shoot you straight. Let's get to the point. Let's get to what we need to be talking about. He says, I know all about you. I know your real issue and it's your heart. And what I have to offer you will quench you in a way that nothing else can. And I want you to think for just a moment about this woman. I want you to put yourself here. Five husbands living with a sixth man now. It doesn't take a psychologist or a rocket scientist to, to figure out what would have been going on in this woman's heart and mind. What do you think this woman's greatest need was that she was trying to fulfill? Five husbands and now a sixth man that she's living with. What's she looking for? She wanted love, right? She, she wanted to be loved. But she's looking for a kind of love in these men that can only be satisfied through Jesus. Jesus offers us a much deeper love than a romantic relationship could ever give us. Church, God has given us wonderful, this wonderful gift of relationships, right? It's awesome. Marriages, friendships, having people in our lives, man, it's a beautiful thing. It is a blessing. But those things are meant to complement our lives, not to complete our lives. We have to understand, I, I'll, I'm going to tell you right now, Tom Cruise was wrong in Jerry Maguire, right, with his famous little, you complete me. No, no, Tom, you're off. That isn't true. And, but, but yet we watch that movie or people watch that movie and they're like, oh man, that's just, it's the way I feel about him. It's the way I feel about her. She completes me. No, they don't. No, they don't. Stop saying that. That's stupid. That's not true. Human relationships can't and don't complete us. They can't and don't complete us. Yes, so many people think they can. 
And this is why so many people are so frustrated in these relationships because they are asking someone to do something for them that humans are not capable of doing. And you see it all the time. It's why some women run off certain men and certain men run off certain women. And then there's why they're fighting and arguing and because they're at, they want the other person to do something for them that they're not even capable of doing. <clears throat> Spouses compliment us. Friends compliment us. Their strengths complement our weaknesses and vice versa. It's complementary. That, that's supposed to happen. But the only one who completes us is Jesus Christ our Lord. That's it. Only he can meet the deepest needs and longings of our hearts. And when we don't turn to Jesus for that, we end up turning to other things to try to fill that void. We do exactly what this woman did. So I don't know if you did this, but if you were already judging her like, hmm, okay, I, I, she definitely got a, I can understand why people may have been looking at her a little crazy. You need to understand that we are exactly like this, this woman. We go from one relationship to another. For some of us, it's one drink to another. For others of us, it's one drug to another. I don't care if it's legal or not legal. Others of us, it's one sexual relationship to another. And all we are doing is trying to medicate or appease one need after another that only can be truly satisfied in Jesus. This is what we're doing. We're no better than she is. As a matter of fact, we are the woman at the well. That's the whole point here. This is, what, this is why it's in here. This is what Jesus is, this is why he went through Samaria. He knew this story was going to affect all of us. We all are the woman at the well. Every single one of us has a God-shaped void in our hearts that can only be filled by Jesus. And every single one of us, before we come to know Jesus, we're gonna, you'll go on a search for something to medicate or appease this need to be loved. And for many, it's not until we hit rock bottom that we realize, man, all this stuff isn't satisfying me. I, this, one, this one felt good for a little while. I, man, there, I, went and, I, I rocked on for a few years thinking this was it. And, and it seemed right, but now here I am again, lost and alone and hurting and feeling like I, I, I'm useless and I don't know what's going on. I thought she was going to do that for me. I thought he was going to do that for me. I thought this job was going to do that for me. I thought if I got to this certain amount of money, it was going to do that for me. And we just go down the list. And then it was, you know, when I, when I, at least when I took this drug or whatever this thing was, man, I, I felt good for a little while, but then I always end up back in the same place of lostness and feeling alone and betrayed. And I don't know where else to turn. And a lot of times it takes hitting that rock bottom till we will realize what I'm looking for, what I'm longing for, what I need, the only thing that'll fill that void is Jesus. Blaise Pascal is a 17th century philosopher, and he, to me, said this as best as you can possibly say it. Here's what he said, quote, there's a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of each man which cannot be satisfied by any created thing, but only by God the creator made known through Jesus Christ. The longing that we have for love and acceptance, the longing we have for forgiveness and wholeness, it only comes through Jesus. And so you can take this whole story, we can sum this whole entire thing up, this conversation that Jesus having with this woman, and this is true again for you and me as well as it was for her. It's only through a relationship with Jesus Christ that the deepest needs of the human heart can be met. This is fact. This is just the way it works. This is how we were created. 
We can search all we want. I'm telling you, we, we all, we were created to worship. You're going to worship something. We're all worshiping something. And just because you're here, by the way, on a Sunday morning and you stood up and sat down for when we ask you to and you've got your Bible open, doesn't mean you're really worshiping God with your life. There can be other things that you're worshiping. There's other things even especially more than. And God made it very clear. Jesus made it very clear. Listen, you need to choose. You can't have two masters. It's, it, it's, it's one or the other. So we're all worshiping something. And the reason we're doing that is because that's the way we were created. It's part of our DNA. God put that in us. That's why you desire those things you're desiring. You're looking for something. You just don't even realize what you're looking for can't be found any other place. This longing we have, it's truly for Jesus. And I'm telling you that you will never find that peace that you're longing for anywhere else. Everything else is temporary. Eventually, the newness, the excitement of whatever that other thing is, the thing you turn to, it's going to fade. And you'll be left once again feeling empty. Only to long for yet another solution to fill the void that you fill in your heart. And that void was placed there by God, church. It was, that void was placed there by God and it can only be filled by God. Understand this. Understand that's why you feel that way. That's the longing you have. That's why you're trying to fill it with all these things. And listen, you can't do it. I, I, I use this illustration every time we teach our, our UFC class, our membership class, and, and we talk about this. Like, this is everybody. Everybody goes through this. And I use that illustration. And you remember the little kids that had the little, I don't even know what that thing's called, but it's got all the shapes all over it and then has all the little pieces that are shaped like those shapes, sizes. And then you open it up and all the thing, pieces fall out and then it closes. And then the kids take them and they, they have, it only goes in the, the hole that is shaped like the piece of wood or whatever it's made out of goes in there, plastic. And you can watch a two-year-old with that little circle and they've got the square hole and they are trying with everything in them to make it fit and make it get in there. And you watch them as an adult who goes, you know it's not going to work. But you let them struggle and struggle until they realize, oh, it doesn't work. This won't work. I've got to figure out something else. I'm telling you, as human beings, as adults, we do this. And we are trying to put something in that void that's a God-shaped void. It's the only thing that will fit in there. It's the only thing that will satisfy. And we try our hardest, like a two-year-old, trying to stuff other things in there. This will work. This will work. This will work. This is going to do it. This is going to be what it is for me. And you just keep trying, and you fight it, and you fight it, and you fight it. And then there's other people, hopefully, that will come along in your life and say, listen, man, hang on. Just pause for a minute. I've done that, too, and I'm telling you, that's never going to work. There's only one thing that's going to fulfill that, and it's Jesus. Now, we get back to our conversation here. We'll wrap this up. Most commentators, what they'll say, you read most commentators on this, and they're going to say, oh, what she does next, what she says next is her attempt to deflect the conversation because Jesus just exposed her. Jesus just laid out something in her life, and she's uncomfortable with it. He called her sin out, and so now she's like, oh, well, let's talk about something else. Let's talk about uh, where you Jews worship and where, you know, where we worship as Samaritans. And so some, a lot of commentators think that's what happened here. There, there's others, that say, very few, but I think, but others that say, and where I, you'll never believe this, but I tend to believe not the majority. I'm on the other side of this. I, I, I truly believe that there's more to this. I think that she's actually asking where she needs to go to atone for her this the sin that's just been exposed. I think she is broken. I think she saw, she sees Jesus sees through her. He knows her. He knows what she's going through, and she's broken, and she wants to know, what do I do next? Listen to what she says, verse 19. Sir, the woman said, I, I can see that you are a prophet. 
Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. I think she's asking essentially, what do I do next? You know, which is the right place for me to go to, to, to take care of my sin and my life? And do I go there or do I go here? And Jesus answers her with, neither. Neither. You don't need to go to a certain mountain. You don't need to go to Jerusalem to get right with God. And he tells her this because God is spirit. You can get right with him wherever you are because true worshipers worship him in spirit and in truth. You can get right with God anywhere at any time because God is everywhere. You can go up on the mountain if you want to. That's awesome. You can, but you can, you can go to him. You can get right with him in a city. You can, you can kneel beside your bed. You can call out to him while you're driving down the highway. You can get right with him today, right here, right now, right where you are. You can get, you may be watching this some other place. You can get right with him right where you are. So Jesus says this next, verse 21, woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know for salvation is from the Jews, meaning it's come through Jesus who came through the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. And then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Jesus just says to her, I'm the one that you've been looking for. I'm the one who can heal you. I'm the one who can satisfy every longing in your heart. And this is one of the rare times, by the way, that Jesus reveals who he is and he doesn't say, now don't go tell anybody. He doesn't say that. It's one of the rare times he doesn't say that. And what this woman does is says she left her jar. She was like, oh my goodness, this man has changed my life. She leaves her jar. She takes off. She goes back into the town that she doesn't normally even want to be seen by anybody. She goes back into that town and she just proclaims to everybody, you don't understand. I've just met the Messiah. I've just met this man that just told me everything about me. He knows he is the Messiah. She's just telling anyone and any, everyone that would listen to her. And the whole town comes out to meet Jesus. At the same time, the, it's the same time the disciples are finally getting back from the, the grocery store, right? They're kind of lost as to what's going on. And they're kind of an awkward moment where they're like uh, trying to get Jesus to eat something and Jesus is like, he says something to them to the the matter of fact of like uh, that he has food that they don't even know anything about. And what he's meaning is, I'm good. I'm filled up because of what's just taken place here. But his disciples are like us and like we would be like, wait, what? So somebody must have brought him a sandwich or something. He's not even hungry anymore. They're like totally not even seeing what's happening and what Jesus is trying to communicate. They're missing the point. And you, you can, again, read it for yourself later. But Jesus basically says, no, I'm talking about what's going on right now, the harvest that is taking place. And all these Samaritans come out to Jesus and they beg him to stay. Will you just stay and teach us and talk to us? And so Jesus stays for two days. And after Jesus spends a couple days with him, it says this in Uh, verse 42. It says, they said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the savior of the world. So let me close by asking you a question to think about. Do you know Jesus this way? Do you know Jesus this way? Many of us have gone in search of many different things trying to fulfill that longing 
that can only be filled through a relationship with Jesus. So I want to invite you today to trust him today. Put yourself in this story, just like that woman who approaches him at the well. I want you to do this. I want you to seriously imagine this. Like, think through this. Put yourself there as if it's just you and Jesus even right now. Maybe you want to see it as you're around a fire pit or whatever. Bring it home a little bit better for you. Whatever, however you maybe find your solace and your peace, somewhere you would go. But picture yourself there with Jesus like this woman was. What do you think Jesus would be saying to you this morning? We are all coming in here from different places, right? We're all coming in here, different seasons of life, going through different struggles. And and there's just stuff that's going on in our lives that maybe nobody nobody else even knows about. Or maybe everybody does know about it. And that's part of the reason that it's a struggle for you. But you know that if you were able to stand there or sit there with Jesus, what would he say to you? What would you say to him? Maybe what he would say to you is quit running. Quit running. Maybe the fact that this is the first time you've been in church for a really long time or the first time you've watched something online like this and you're like, that's exactly what he would have said say to me. That's what I needed to hear this morning is I need to quit running. I need to, I'm running from the very, the only thing that can save me, that can help me. Maybe he would say, I don't care what other people think. I don't care what other people say about you. I love you. Maybe that's what you need to hear this morning because that's the Jesus of the Bible. That's the Jesus we worship. He loves you in spite of all of your, your crap that you've gone through, the things you're doing, what you did last night. He, he loves you. It doesn't mean he's okay with sin. He's not okay with sin. He's addressed that with this woman here, and he addresses it all through Scripture, but he loves us. And there's, it shouldn't be that, well, I've messed up too much. I've done too many things. You don't understand. I don't have to understand. Jesus knows, and he understands, and he says, and I'm still offering you salvation. I love you. I still, I died on the cross for you. Maybe he would just say to you because you're having trouble with it, you're forgiven. Come home. There's no reason for you to keep running. You're for, I forgive you. Forget about what everybody else thinks and has said and done to you. Understand the only thing that matters is our relationship. Come home. I love you. You are welcome. I don't know what you're chasing today. I, I, I don't, but... Maybe you're trying to fix your brokenness with people or things. Maybe you see it. Maybe you just need to point it out this morning that, man, that's what I'm doing, Pastor. I'm, I'm trying, to, trying to medicate things. I'm trying to physically, I, I'm, doing, I'm working all the time. I'm, I'm avoiding it. I, whatever it is, I, I, I sense that that's what I'm doing. I'm just here to tell you this morning, trust me, it won't work. It won't work. People and things will always fail you. But Jesus never will. And because God is spirit, this is so beautiful. Because God is spirit, we can meet him this morning just like this woman did. And it can be the moment, literally right now, here at 11.47 a.m. in the morning at First Christian Church can be your moment. Maybe you're, wherever you are watching this, whether it's the same day or it's weeks later or years later, and you're watching this, this can still be your moment. This is how awesome our God is, where you meet him, and it's the moment that you leave and you go and you tell everyone about your testimony of how the Messiah changed your life. I met a man. I didn't know I was. When I got up this morning and I went to church, I didn't realize it, but I met Jesus this morning. 
when I clicked on this and started watching it, I had no idea, but I just met Jesus for the first time in a real way. And he laid open my heart. And he told me everything I ever did wrong, and I know he knows. But yet he still loves me. And he has a plan for my life. And I'm going to go tell everybody I know about him. Because that's what he's called me to do. I pray you'll meet him this morning if you don't know him. I want to pray and then we're even going to give you an opportunity to, to talk to somebody about it if that's, that's where you are in your, your walk. Let's, let's pray.